Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. And this evening we look at the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity. You can find some of that in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 8. But we're going to be going to Matthew and to many other texts of God's Word tonight as we meditate on the doctrine of the Trinity as we meditate on the doctrine of the Trinity. And with our Bibles open, we experience the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, actually, in this text. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, just to look at this briefly, we see all three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. At the center, we see the Lord Jesus Christ in the water with John the Baptist. And of course, right after he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes and descends upon him and lights upon him. And of course, God the Father speaks, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. The beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Go to the very end of the book of the gospel according to Matthew. And this is very important for Matthew and for us to see, for his original hearers to see in Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the beginning of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry, we see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the book of Matthew and Jesus' public ministry, we see the institution of baptism in the name, you know it's singular, you notice that? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's three names, but it says in the name in the singular sense, and I believe clearly that's communicating this doctrine of the Trinity, that there is one essence, yet three persons, and that's why we say in the name, and not in the names. That's very purposeful. That is very purposeful in the writing of Matthew. But it seems to be interesting on both ends of Jesus' ministry, we see the three persons of the triune God. And of course, as you know, Jesus' ministry itself 
He was filled with whom? The Holy Spirit, right? God the Holy Spirit with God the Son. And of course, with God the Son doing the will of God the Father. Consistently in his ministry. You see the whole drama of the triune God play out in the life, ministry, teaching, suffering, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to just to go a little bit deeper in some other text from God's Word about the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, there are many analogies for the Trinity, and they all miss badly. It, they all miss badly. It's like we have a large, we have this target, right? And everybody doesn't even hit anywhere in the target. You know there's a modalistic kind of illustration or analogy for the Trinity. It is solid, liquid, and gas. Solid, liquid, and gas to explain the Trinity. This is modalism and is considered to be a heresy. That God has modes. It's the same God, but in different modes, not persons. And that, of course, has been sold again and again and again. And then there's the egg analogy. Shell, white, the white and the yolk. I don't know where it came from. I couldn't find out exactly who it came from. But it, too, is an analogy of, for the Trinity that misses badly. There are some that use the shamrock analogy. You can only imagine that comes from Ireland. There's the three leaves on each leaf. But I'm always reminded there are three leaflets in poison oak as well. There's one leaf and three leaflets. Again, it does not even come close to the revealed word of God's explanation of the Trinity, of our triune God. And why? Well, the doctrine of the Trinity declares the wonder and beauty of God's love. I'm going to say that very clearly again that the doctrine of the Trinity declares the wonder and beauty of God's love. Now, Luther said that through Jesus, we, may, we many know that God is a Father, and we may look into His fatherly heart and sense how boundlessly He loves us. That would warm our hearts, setting them aglow. You see in Jesus the wondrous love of God the Father, don't we? To give his own son, not for good people, but for sinners, for rebels. He sends his son into the world to make sons and daughters, princes and princesses. And so as we behold the doctrine of the Trinity, we are beholding the love of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John Calvin wrote that if we try to understand God without thinking about the Father, Son, and Spirit, then only the bare and empty name of God flits about in our brains to the exclusion of the true God. If you simply just stay God, without qualifying, what do you mean by God? You have understandings about God that are not scriptural. They're not Christian. Because you cannot understand God without the three persons 
in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are just an ideas flitting around in your brain. And it is the case, when you pray in Jesus' name, people get offended in the public square, don't they? And so sometimes Christians, well, they leave some of those details out about the triune God. But this is what makes Christianity unique of any other religion on the face of the earth. It is the doctrine of the Trinity. No one has any understanding even close to the three persons in one essence that we have in the Trinity, the doctrine that we all assume but don't know anything about. Isn't that the case often in the church? This most essential doctrine is often the one we focus least on. And that's not to our spiritual health, no. I would say it would be for our spiritual impoverishment. I think Calvin would see it that way. I know Luther would have seen it that way. Augustine would have seen it that way. Augustine was a thoroughly Trinitarian man when he understood that God, he didn't just say God. No, God has three persons. He has revealed himself in the progress of God's revelation through the word of God that we can see him in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what does the doctrine of the Trinity mean? There's a, he there's a helpful, well, the seven, seven statement saying, the seven statement saying goes like this. And I think it's an essential part of the doctrine of the Trinity. There is only one God, right? If we can say that's an essential part of God, that is it, right? There is only, how many? One God. Okay, there is only one God, but that's only one of the seven. So we've got six more to go. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Go through the Athanasian Creed and you will see that repeated again and again and again and again and again and again. It's amazing that those are the seven parts of the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father is not the Son, right? The Son is not the Spirit, and this Holy Spirit is not the Father. And if, if your Bibles are open, some of you young people might have, a, not your Bibles, but your Psalter hymnals, you'll find in the creedal section, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed are structured how? How are they structured? Are two most important creeds in the Western tradition of Christendom by the doctrine of the Trinity, actually. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, Creator, the Son, Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit, Sanctifier. Both in the Apostles' Creed and also in the Nicene Creed. And those essential words, you've heard me say them, essence and person. Now, what do I mean by essence? What have Christian theologians meant by essence? Well, someone said, I think it was, it was reading Kevin DeYoung, I liked his explanation of essence. And essence is the godness of each person in the Trinity the godness of each person in the Trinity. And you'll know each person is equally God. One's not lesser God, right? We don't want to be Arians who believe only Jesus is a kind of a God, a demigod, God, but not really God. No, all are God. The godness of each person of the Trinity and, of course, person or person, a particular individual distinct from the others. What do you see in Matthew's narrative? In the narrative, in the story, are, each, are the three persons distinct? 
They are. And again, the church is trying to abide by the revealed will of God, not the revealed will of someone's opinion. Right? They're seeing, this is what we see in the text. We see clearly three persons because there's God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the water with John the Baptist. And, of course, there's God the Holy Spirit descending and illuminating Jesus. And then we have God the Father speaking clearly, this is my Son and whom I love. In Him I am well pleased. That appears to be persons because they're relating to each other. Well, communication. And so the church has tried to understand God's Word. And also because God's word has been attacked by many false teachers throughout the history of the church, especially within the first 300 years of the church. So where is the doctrine of the Trinity found? So we've, I think we've seen two places, right? Both in our baptism in Matthew 28 and also in the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at the doctrine of the Trinity Particularly, there is no God. And you might have the notes. I had some notes in a little that you can check because that makes it a lot easier. Otherwise, you're going to have to tear through some scripture. And you might tear a page because we're going to be going so fast. But let's go. There is one God. Deuteronomy 6.4. The Shema, right? Now remember, if you are a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, you have phylactery. You have a phylactery in the forehead. You got one on your hand. In that phylactery, what text or what little scroll do they have? The Shema, the Shema, the great statement of monotheism. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. There is one God. This was a radical statement, wasn't it, in the 15th century B.C. There's one God. There's only one God. And then Isaiah says in Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Beside me there is no God. There is no such things as the gods. There's only one true God. And of course, James, we had read this a couple weeks ago in the morning service. James 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God. Again, monotheism claimed, but then he goes, good, even the demons believe that and, and shudder, and shudder. And we can continue on if you'd like. It would take us a while. We'd be here maybe another hour going to all the other texts about the oneness of God, that God is, there is only one God. But let's get into God is three persons. The Father is God. Now, John chapter 6, verse 27 says this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, Jesus speaking about himself, will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So clearly, the Father is God. This is, this is what Jesus communicates, that the Father is God. And then, of course, that glorious text, John 3.16, it's football season. We might see that number in the end of the end zone. But do you, have you noticed the last couple of years? I haven't seen the John 3.16 at the end of the end zone. Anybody seen it? It seems to be have vanished from end zones in this country. I don't know why that is, if it's the NFL being the NFL. Probably so. But here's the text. 
John 3.16, for God, and of course, it's allusion to the Father, so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, or his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Again, John is, is proclaiming the reality of the deity of the Father. And Titus chapter 1 verse 4 says this, To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And the Son is God. You go to John chapter 1. One of the great, great, the first chapter of John verses 1 through 18 is a clear declaration that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the Son of, of God. John 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. I mean, John the evangelist is saying, The one who I proclaim to you is God. He's the one that created all things. This Logos, the Word. That became flesh. And John continues on, and I saw him. I saw him. I witnessed him. Of course, John had witnessed his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and to even his ascension. And then you meet Thomas. You remember when Thomas met the Lord Jesus Christ on the next Sunday after his resurrection? course, Thomas, with his mouth probably wide open, said, my Lord and my God. Here's the man that could not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. One week later, he is saying, Jesus is God. So the power of the resurrection is upon the heart of anyone who believes. And then, of course, John writes very clearly at the end of his, of his gospel. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you will have life in his name. Do you not see that? To understand Jesus as God is to have life. Because if Jesus is not God, you're all dead in your sins and trespasses. And so am I. Because then I'm a fool, ain't I? If Jesus is not God, there is no way he could have atoned for any of my sin. And we've talked about that a couple weeks ago. I would still be dead in my sins and trespasses, but Jesus is God. And then Titus chapter 2 says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And of course, Hebrews 1.3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His power and word. And He had provided purification for sin. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And then we get to the Holy Spirit is God. You remember that narrative, that story where you have Ananias and Sapphira, right? They, of course, have not the best reputation in, in Christendom's history, uh, but here the text speaks of the Holy Spirit, I believe, very clearly. Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you? before it was sold? 
And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. Peter is clearly proclaiming that the Holy Spirit is God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And he ends it off here, you lied to God. Clearly, the apostles saw the Holy Spirit as God. As God. And the Son as God. So why does the doctrine of the Trinity matter? Okay, this is information. But information, as you well know, you need to know and be hearers of the word before you can be doers of the word. So why does the doctrine of the Trinity matter? Well, I think three parts. Creation, regeneration, and relationship. I'll try to go through these as quickly as I can. Creation. The universe was created through triune love. Everything you see and have experienced was created through triune love. You go to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse, verses 1 through 3, you see, well, you hear these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. There's this understanding by a saint of the second century named Irenaeus, a theologian from Lyon, that spoke about this text. And he said, the Word and the Spirit were like his own two hands in creating the cosmos. I thought that was very unique, that God the Father along with God the Son, His right hand, and God the Holy Spirit, we're all engaged in creating the universe. Because we know that Jesus created all things, right? With the Father, because the early church would have understood this word being spoken as the word, or the Logos, or the Son of God, creating all things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God spoke the word as the Spirit hovered over the chaos. That's the way you could explain it. God spoke the word as the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos. And he said, let there be light. And light came into existence, creation. Did God need to create? Did he need to create us in order to experience love? Why did he create well, I think it's, it's an overflow of his own character, of his own love, because God is three persons, and persons are, they love each other. Not like the force you see in Star Wars. The force cannot love, only persons love. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have perfectly loved each other from all eternity. And so creation came out of God's love. Isn't that why God can say of his act of love, created through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is very good. Every day was good, but the last day he said, it's very good. And that same God that created the universe, that one true God, in one essence, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, also recreated you, didn't he? Regeneration. Regeneration, the triune God. 
Or I could say it like this. You are a personal creation of the triune God. You are. What do I mean? Well, God the Father loved the elect, didn't he? He loved those who he'd be calling from every nation and tribe and language. And who did he send? Who did the God who loved God the Father send? He sent his Son. And of course, God the Son does the will of the Father because he loves the Father. But he also loved the world. And world means a hostile humanity, people who hate him. And yet the God we see, the Father, loves the world and sends the Son. The Son loves the world and gives his life for rebels and sinners like me. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church at Pentecost and continues to be poured out on the souls of men and women, revealing how much God the Father loved you in sending his Son, Jesus, to die for you and overcome the grave for you so that you might have new life and forevermore the love of the triune God. There is no salvation apart from him. There's nothing. Now, and the last piece, relationship. What do I mean by that? Love is something that was never created. Love has always been because all God has always been. Thus, love has always been. And when God redeemed you to be his own through his son and then revealed himself to you through his spirit, he wanted to incorporate you and unite you to his own love, to himself, so that you and I and all of his people would bask in his love for all eternity. And it's the only love that will not die. It's the one love that exists for all time. Because the being who loves us in three persons has not had a beginning, nor can he have an end. And that's where I find my, my being, my body and my soul united to Christ, thus united to the Father, and, and of course to the Spirit who intercedes in me. Does the doctrine of the Trinity matter? Without it, there's nothing. There is no Christianity. There's no me. Because I would not be a new creation. I would not have an eternal hope. I would be a man aimless. Actually, I don't even think there would be a universe, would there? There wouldn't be a universe. Without our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in three persons, one essence. Glory be to God. May you glorify him as you meditate on the Trinity and enjoy him. Today, tomorrow, and forever. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father. Oh, interceding Son. Oh, sanctifying Holy Spirit. We come as men and women who are weak. We come as men and women whose affections are often torn in many different directions. Oh, reveal yourself to us in power that we might experience again and again your glorious love for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that it would change us and shape us and mold us to be not only hearers but doers of the word, and that our hearts would yearn as the days go by 
as the weeks and months and years and decades go by, our hearts would even yearn more and more awaiting that glorious day where we will experience the fullness of that glorious light in heaven. O oh, Father, O oh, Son, and we know, O oh, Holy Spirit, you will be in the church in the new heavens and the new earth because Christ and the Father gave you to us forever. And may we be found glorifying you, O oh God, and enjoying you forever. Amen.